Good morning. You know, if I had a voice like Ken, I could be a real preacher. Wow, that's… John, that's almost like God speaking. God. Hallelujah. I, um, the last few years of my life, last 10 years or so of my life, I have prayed that I would be an encourager. I have two encouragers that, that I, I want to be an encourager. I'm not, nothing like these men. Uh, the first one is Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, the greatest encourager of me, that I, of anybody in the world. Then Dr. Bob Tuttle, uh, Dr. Kinlaw is going to be the Lord. Um, uh, both of them, I don't see them that often. Of course, I don't see Dr. Kinlaw now, but, uh, but still, all they have to do is speak with me once every six months, and that lasts me for the next six months. You understand? Uh, I, I think that's scriptural, that, that we're to be encouragers. I want to tell you about an encourager that I met this morning I was walking down here before the Bible study, and there was a beautiful little girl standing near the nurse's cottage, and I stopped to speak to her, and her, I asked her her name, and her name is Tirsa. I don't know if you know Tirsa or not. I didn't know. I think, is that the way you pronounce it, Tirsa? I had to ask her three times, Tirsa. She's six and a half years old. She's my new encourager. All she said was, you look handsome. I don't care what you say to me. I'm going to remember Tirsa. I'm going to call my wife and tell her that. What an encourager. God's called us to be encouragers. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, please, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's a little harder to find, so I'll give you a minute. It's right here. It's, it's page 689. It's almost, ha- it, it's a little more than halfway. The bigger part's to the left. Does that make sense? Jeremiah, go to the table of contents. 17th chapter. Jeremiah 17, beginning with verse 5. And while you're looking for that, before I ask you to stand, let me explain just a little bit about this passage of Scripture. There are four verses. The first two, in ver- first two verses deal with one particular thing, and then it usually starts with the word but, and that's what this does. Then there's a major contrast, a big contrast, almost word for word a contrast. So you look for that as we read. Jeremiah 17, beginning with verse 5. If you're able, if you'll stand with me as we read the Word of God. Now, this is what the Lord says. Cursed. 
Another translation says defeated. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and his heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of a desert, a salt land where no one lives. But, (laughs) praise God for but, but blessed or victorious is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree that's planted by the water. It sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear or worry when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated, please. Jeremiah was a prophet in a very perilous time. His small country of Judah had virtually been destroyed. Jeremiah was frustrated. I call him the frustrated prophet. Jeremiah would tell the people, God says do this. They would say, no, we want to do this. Jeremiah says, I'm a prophet. You're supposed to do this. They said, thank you very much, but we'd like to do this. God wants you to go this way. Thank you, but we'd like to go this way. Frustrated prophet. It reminds me of some Methodist preachers I know. I've been there. Frustration. Jeremiah is so frustrated that if you, uh, if you look back to chapter 12, here's Jeremiah complaining to God. I, I'm sure you never complained to God. Listen to what Jeremiah says in the first couple of verses. You're always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet, I wouldn't need to speak with you about your justice. Why do the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Uh, In Georgia, we would say, Jeremiah's taking God to the woodshed. Jeremiah's very upset with God. You know, I, I hear that wherever I go. And I pray with people around an altar, and I hear the same thing. Why me? Tom, why me? Why is God doing this? I don't understand this. I don't... I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm trying to live a Christian life. Why is this happening? Why me, God? Why me? Well, folks, there's a lot of answers I don't have, but I do know this. It's God's will to bless His children. Amen? Let me reinforce that. You know this passage, Jeremiah 29. It's, it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Beginning of verse 11, for I know the plan, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you or make you victorious, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Now, my question this morning, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because there's some people around you that maybe they don't. There's some folks around you might not right now that, that may be going through the hardest time of their life. And you know people are going through, and they're asking the same question. I'm not sure I believe that. But God says that's the way it is, folks. He wants to bless us. And my question is, if that's the case, and I know it is, then why? Why so often? I'm talking to believers here. Why so often in our lives 
why are we not blessed? Or at least we don't think we're blessed. Let me give you two reasons I find from Scripture. The first one is we're not blessed because we're just missing the blessings of God. They're coming. They're coming. And either we're too blind or we've got our minds on other things or something, but, but, but they just kind of go, shoom. You see, I believe God's trying to bless us every minute of every day. I believe His blessings are just flowing over and over and over, and we're just missing them. Let me give you an illustration. Somebody told me this morning that they appreciated my simplicity, and I need to tell you that's just who I am. I don't know how to preach complicated, okay? I'm just a simple Georgia preacher. I, don't, I honestly don't. That's me. I'm earthy. And so my stories, my illustrations are earthy. Is that okay? I'm not preaching down to you. I just don't know how to preach any other way. So just hang in there with me. We're missing God's blessing. Every church I preach in, every church, not camp meeting, but every church I preach in has something in common with every other church. Now, if I were to ask you, and a lot of times I do when I'm preaching the sermon, I, I ask, what does every church have in common? There's too many of you to hear, be here all day, so let me just give you a couple that I hear. Somebody would say, people. I'd say, yes, but I've preached at some with six, not many. Uh, uh, a preacher. Well, not every church has a preacher. If you're Southern Baptist, you may go a long time without a preacher. And some of you Methodists, you may say you don't have a preacher even though you do have one. Are you with me? And then they say, music. Tab. I come back and say, you haven't been to some of the churches I've been to. I'm not sure what they call it, but I wouldn't call it music. Sometimes it takes me 30 minutes of preaching to get the people out of the doldrums they've got in because the music's put them there. And I could go on and on and on and on, but you're never going to guess what, I, what I'm thinking of. Every church has a thermostat. Is that right, Grace? Every church has a thermostat. And I've decided the thing that causes more problems in churches more than anything else is a thermostat. Amen? I mean, some people are freezing in the same service. Some people are burning up. I go to churches. My little church has blankets. we got blankets out there just to keep people warm when it's too cold, and other people are sweating, like I'm sweating when I'm preaching, and they're freezing to death. You just, it just, there's a difference, though, between a thermostat and a thermometer. Inside of a thermometer is what? Mercury. And when it's hot, the mercury goes up. When it's cold, the mercury goes down. Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, up and down, according to the temperature. A thermostat's different. You set it at 70 degrees, it does not matter if it's 50 or 100 unless somebody changes it. We got, we got locks on ours, nobody can change it. So if it stays set at 70, it's not going to change. It's not depending on the outward circumstances. Are you with me? Here's one reason we're not blessed. We're missing it because we think we're supposed to be like a thermometer. We're blessed. Hallelujah, I'm up. I'm not blessed, I'm down. I had a fight with my wife. I am certainly not blessed, I'm down. I had, I, things are going great at home. I'm up. I have enough money to pay the bills. I'm up. I don't have enough money to pay the bills. I'm down. We go up and down and up and down according to the outward circumstances. Let me tell you, friends, you will never be blessed of God depending on your own outward circumstances. Never. We've got to be like the thermostat. 
that we're set and we know the spirit of a holy God dwells within us and it does not matter if things are going well or things are not going well, we are still blessed people of God. Amen? Oh, I don't think you said that very loud. Some of you are not sure about that. And I understand. Another reason we're not blessed is because verse 5 says, we depend on our own strength. I'll pray with somebody to accept Christ, and it'll be a glorious time, and then they'll get up and they'll look at me and they say, but how am I going to handle this situation tomorrow? How am I going to handle the situation tomorrow? How am I going to deal with my family? How am I going to deal with a coworker at work? How am We're not blessed. We can't do that. If you depend on your own strength, you will never, you will never be blessed depending on your own strength. Now, I want to go through these verses very quickly because they're so important and there's such a contrast. Scripture starts by saying that when we are blessed, it describes what we'll be like. And the first description is, it says, you'll be like a tree compared to a bush. Are you with me? Tree compared to a bush. Um, I was preaching outside of Phoenix, Arizona several years ago. I had never been in a desert before. And we're riding across the desert. Folks, the highways, they, they don't bend. You understand that, what I mean by bend? They're just straight. You can watch your dog run away for two days. I mean, it just goes straight. And, and, and I was riding with this guy, and I don't think there are any speed limits out there. And so we were probably going 90 miles an hour. And we're flying down the road, and I'm just kind of shaking already. And all of a sudden, I saw something coming toward us. And it didn't stop. And I thought to myself, we're going to have a wreck. That thing's going to hit us, and, and, and we, it's going to wreck us. And, and it hit us, and it was a tumbleweed, and it just kind of bounced off. Are you with me? What I'm trying to say here is the storms of life are going to come. The Scripture says the rain falls on the just and the unjust just alike. And when the storms of life come, I want to be like a tree. I want to be like a tree that my roots go deep. And I'm not just thinking about emotional things and emotional. I, I want to be so past that. I, I, want, to be, I, want, the, I want to be strong. I, I want my roots to go deep when the, when the catastrophes come. I don't think anybody here has not had a catastrophe of something in your life. And I've known people that are like bushes, Christians that are like bushes. And they get blown away. Things happen in their marriages, things happen in their families, and they just, they can't make it. They're gone because they don't have the roots. God, make me like that tree so that they go deep and hang on, hang on. I I love to go to Florida and and see those palm trees. I don't know how they stand up, but most of them do. It's because they got roots and they grab each other, hang on. Blessed or cursed. I want to be blessed. Hang on. Then it goes on to say that the tree that will become, it says our leaves will always be green. Now, 
I don't know much about Ohio. I sure know a lot about Georgia. Been there all my life except seven years in Wilmore. And I know that our oak trees don't have green leaves in the wintertime. I'm smart, okay? It just doesn't happen. My, um, we built a house when I was pastor at Monroe First, and uh, they gave us a housing allowance. We'd never had a housing allowance. We lived in a parsonage all our lives. What a terrible thing. Terrible thing, especially for my wife. So we got to build a house. They gave us a nice housing allowance, and we bought a piece of property. We built a house. Couldn't get rid of it for a long time. We just sold it this year after about 25 years. But, but anyway, we, we built, built a house in the woods, in the middle of the woods, literally. And they cut, a, cut away a lot of trees, but, but there was one large oak tree. I told them to leave that right there. I wanted it. Probably should have cut it down, but it, it was huge. It was gorgeous. And every, every um, fall, I'd get my wife, I'd say, come out on the porch, I want to show you something. She finally wouldn't come anymore, but she started out this way. I said, honey, you see that oak tree there? She said, yes. I said, you know, probably 100 years ago, God caused an acorn to be born right there. And it would sprout, and, it was an, and all of a sudden, a little oak tree started up. And, and over those 100 years, we've got that tree. God caused that to happen. And then every spring, God causes green leaves to come on that tree. God waters it and puts sun, and God causes those green leaves. And then God causes the leaves to turn brown. And then God causes those leaves to fall to the ground. And that's where God wants them to stay, right where he put them. She never bought that. But I thought it was a good idea. But what I'm telling you is that's not a natural thing for leaves to be on an oak tree and God told me that was an oak tree in the Scripture here. So it's not a natural thing, are you with me, to stay there year-round. But you know what it is, what he's talking about here? It's a supernatural thing. It's supernatural. You can't get blessed naturally. You can try to get blessed naturally, but I promise you, it won't happen. And God calls us to be blessed, and it's a supernatural thing. It's not something you work up. God just gives it to us. It's called grace. He loves us. It's a supernatural thing. So it says that our leaves will always be green. And then it says about that tree, it really wasn't an oak tree, I guess, because it says you will always bear fruit. I come from the peach state. The most beautiful peaches in all the world come from Georgia. When y'all come to Florida driving down I-75 and you go down around Fort Valley, Georgia, um, if you come in January, guess what you'll see on the peach trees? Nothing. No leaves and certainly no peaches. But you get around June and they start to come. I've got a friend who's, uh, uh, I, I met at Indian Springs and he's been there a lot longer than I have. He's got 120,000 peach trees. 120, not peaches, but peach trees. And he's got 13 different varieties. And that first variety, it starts coming in really about June. It's a non-pitted one. I don't like those. But you know, you got to get those free stones. But anyway, it comes. But what I'm saying is that the peach tree doesn't produce peaches 
in November or January or February or March. They're not there. But the Scripture says you'll always bear fruit. That's not natural. <laughs> it's supernatural. What's he talking about? John, I, I think he's talking about fruit of the Spirit here. I really do. You know, the, what John's been talking about, the love, the joy, the peace, all that stuff, you know? Uh, uh, that's a supernatural thing. He's not talking about the gifts. You're not going to have all the gifts. If you find somebody that says they've got all the gifts, you get away from them in a hurry. Run. I only got one I know about, and you may disagree after this week. Just keep your mouth shut, okay? But he's talking about the gifts. And we will have, when we're filled with God's Spirit, we will have all of the gifts. Especially the first one, which everything else comes under that, I think. Love. When nobody loves this person, supernaturally you love them. It just happens. The joy. When everybody else is sad about a situation, for some reason, <laughs> there's a joy in your heart. That doesn't mean you're giddy or anything. You just know God's in charge. The peace. Oh, by the way, is it a sin to worry? According to what I read you, it is. It said you'll have no need to fear or worry when the heat and drought comes. I don't know what the heat and drought is in your life, but it's going to be there. Somebody says, you know, as a Christian, we've either we've been there or we're there right now, getting ready to be there. A peace. When everybody else is, is downtrodden and worried to death, if you've got that fruit, you don't have to worry. Oh, I'll skip over the last one. the one I deal with a lot, seems like, these days. Self-control. Maybe one day this week I'll, I'll share with you about my little church that I have on the side, really on the side. I'm not there as much as I am there. They're preaching this morning, right now. I have a young lady preaching this morning called Angel. She's the best Christian counselor I've ever met in my life. She's sharing this morning. All my folks have been in drought most of their lives. But God has given them the, <laughs> the fruit of self-control. Alcoholics, drug addicts, whatever. You know, I, I, I say nowadays, I, I don't even believe there is such a thing as self-control. It's spirit control. I've seen people try to self-control all their life. If they could have changed, they would have. They want to, but they just can't. It's a supernatural thing. And that's what God blesses us with. Well, how does it happen? How does it happen? I'm going to give you about three stories, and I'll be through to tell you how it happens. I was a pastor for 23 years in North Georgia Conference. For the last 24 years, I've been full-time evangelism. But about 10 years ago, I picked up a little church also. That we'll get to that later. But um, when I went into evangelism full-time after fighting it for 10 years, I went to a conference called NACI. It stands for North American Conference for Itinerant Evangelists. That's itinerant, not idiot. By the way, you know the difference between a pastor and an evangelist? An evangelist is a pastor that no church wants more than 10 days. 
So I went to this conference. My wife went with me. We met another couple that was going into evangelism the same time we were. This was our, we hadn't been an evangelist three months. This other couple, uh, uh, Bob was a professional golfer, and he was an alcoholic. He got converted, converted under Ford Philpot. And uh, so we hung out together, and we were just doing and It was the greatest conference I have ever been to in my entire life. It was only for evangelists, not for pastors, just for evangelists. People came from all over the world, just thousands of them. We had the greatest preachers imaginable. When Billy Graham invites you to speak, you say, well, I've got something else that day. You cancel your wedding that day, whatever. But they were the best. Billy Graham spoke one night. Robbie Zacharias spoke one night, just, just, just powerful preachers. One night, wonderful, wonderful preacher, Adrian Rogers. Are you familiar with the name Adrian Rogers? Great Baptist preacher from Memphis, Tennessee. Died, I don't know, 15 years ago. I don't know how the Baptists do it. He's still on television every Sunday morning. I think they resurrect him so he can preach. Adrian was telling us a story. He had just come back. This was was a long time ago, so this was shortly after communism had fallen, the Iron Curtain had fallen. And he had a chance to go to Romania. And he was, uh, Adrian said he was there, and he had a chance to meet the Billy Graham of Romania. Uh, By the way, he happened to be a friend of Dr. Kinlaw also, this this great evangelist. His name was Joseph Song. Uh, when, when communism came in and took over, uh, they closed all the churches, but they couldn't shut up Joseph Song. He was preaching everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And they tried to corral him. They knew if they killed him, he'd become a martyr. And so they didn't do that. And, and so Adrian's telling this story about meeting with him. And he said that, you know, that he said they threw him in a dungeon. And he, he just had this kind of air hole. And he preached from, and people would gather around. Thousands of people would come, and they tried to get him away, and they couldn't keep him away. So finally, they put him on a chain gang. And his job was to carry cross timbers to, to replace railroad ties. Partially paralyzed him. Finally, when communism was over and he was released, he was invited to preach in some large churches in the United States. Probably some Baptist churches, just big churches. He came over and preached. And Adrian's having this conversation, and he said, uh, Joseph, he said, I know you've been to some of our churches, and I want to know if you could tell me what you think of our churches. And he said, you don't want to know. He said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't. He said, please tell me what you think. He said, well, he said, you know, I, I understand a, a good bit of English. I can listen very well here. And he said, there's a word that I keep hearing in your churches everywhere. He said, but I think it's taken the place of another word. You know, we're good about that in churches, aren't we? We replace sin with something else. We, you know, we, we replace revival with a little meeting, and, and we, you know, we, we change words. And he said, I think the word I'm thinking about that I hear all the time is taking the place of another word that I never hear. And he said, well, what words are you talking about? He said, well, I hear the word commitment all the time. And Adrian said, well, that's a good word. He said, no, it's not. 
He said, what do you mean? He said, well, let me tell you the word it's taking the place of. He says, first of all, he said, when you commit to do something, you commit what you're going to commit. You commit to come to church. You commit to sing in the choir. You commit to tithe. You commit to come camp meeting. It's your decision. You make you decision. what you're But he said, the word it's replaced is the word surrender. He said, you know, I don't hear that word anymore. He said, the difference is when you surrender, it's like the old hymn says, I surrender all. Folks, there's a major difference. When you surrender all, that means all. That means 100%. You can't surrender 90%. It's like being 90% pregnant. Doesn't work. I surrender all. I was in... Uh, Israel a couple of years ago. I've only been once and, and um, had a chance to go, and I, I was so excited about it. There were, there were two busloads of us from the North Georgia area, uh, seven or eight pastors. The rest of them were lay people, and we had an itinerary. We knew where we were going to be every day, and I was so excited. And I, it was just, to me, though, it was just rush, rush, rush. If I ever go back, I'm going to spend a week at Sea of Galilee, you know. I'm just going to stay one place and just absorb, instead of move up. But anyway, we were excited about going to the Sea of Galilee. I've always heard if you, if you uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, not the Sea of Galilee, but the Dead Sea, big difference, to the Dead Sea, you know, the Great Sea, the Great Salt Sea. You know, the Dead Sea is water comes in, there's no tributaries going out, and the only water that leaves evaporates, and so it leaves this salty, salty water everywhere. And I'd always heard if you ever get there, you need to go swimming in the Dead, in the dead Sea, I thought. Okay, I need to do that. And so all of us took our bathing suits and our little, you know, in our little day packs. And we got there, listen to this, when we got there, it was 50 degrees and mist and rain. And I'm from Georgia. Alan Stewart was behind me, a pastor friend of mine, and I said, Alan, I'm going to go in. I didn't come halfway around the world. I'll probably never be here again. I, I've got to do this. He said, okay, I'll go with you. None of the lay people would do it. They're smarter than the preachers. And so, but there were these little cabanas, and to, 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 like kind of little dressing rooms, individual rooms. And we went over and put our bathing suits on, and Alan, who's about 6'1", and me, we walked out in our bathing suits, and there were probably 80 people, that's how many the bus held, probably 80 people with cameras watching us. That's when you suck it in. <laughs> Except if you're John, you don't have to suck it in. It's already in. But the rest of us sucked it in, you know. And we were walking down, and we were like the Pied Pipers. They were following us, and it's kind of rocky. It's not like a Florida beach. It's kind of rocky, and we had to be careful. And so we're walking down there, and all these people are following us down there with their cameras. And we got in the Dead Sea, and I just kind of backed in and laid on my back. It is the weirdest feeling I've ever experienced. It's so salty. You know, there's nothing that lives there. It's crystal clear water. There's no algae. There's no weeds. There's no fish because it's so salty. But when you lay back on your back, it's impossible to sink. You can lay on your back and read a newspaper. I mean, it's just, you can relax. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. Heard about a man who was on the Dead Sea in a boat by himself, probably like a rowboat by himself, and he fell overboard. He couldn't swim. 
He started screaming, help, 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 help. I'm drowning, I'm drowning. He was thrashing the water. I'm drowning, please help me. I can't swim, I can't swim, help, help. And the more he thrashed, the more the boat moved away. There was nobody around to hear him. He was just screaming. Finally, he just was totally, completely exhausted. And his last breath, he just yelled out, I give up, I give up, I'll just drown. And he gave up. And he sank. No, he didn't. (laughs) He floated. He floated when he gave up. Stop trying. Are you with me? It's time for some of us to give up. Stop trying to do it yourself. I don't care what your situation is, what your problem is. I mean, I do care, but it's called surrender. Total, complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allow the Spirit to take over then you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we we come to you, I come to you confessing, first of all, confessing that I like to try to do it my way so often. I I, I think I know the direction our ministry ought to go, and I, I, I try to do that, and every time I fail, I, I think I know how to raise money, and I certainly don't know how to do that. I fail every time I try to do it. Lord, I, I, I even think I, I know how to be a good husband, and I mess up there so badly. I think I know how to be a good father and grandfather, and I screw that up too. But, Lord, we know that when we surrender, when I surrender, when I surrender all, constantly surrendering day after day after day and allow your spirit to take over instead of the I. Lord, you bring blessing. Sometimes I don't even recognize those blessings, but, but you do. I pray for people this morning that are trying to do it themselves. They've committed themselves to you at least partially. But there's an area in their life maybe they haven't surrendered They've tried to commit it. It doesn't work. It's as John said this morning in Bible study. It's it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. We allow you, Jesus, to be our Lord and to take over. Would you allow us this morning, as selfish as we are, to come and confess that selfishness and say we can't do it? Pride will say, yes, you can. Jesus says, no, you can't. We'll never be blessed. Lord, I I want your blessings upon my life every minute of every day, through the hardships, through the tough times, through the times when everybody else thinks that you'll never make it. Lord, we can make it with you when we surrender totally and allow you to take over our lives. So even this morning, even on a Sunday morning, Lord, would you please, please take over. We do surrender all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. Some of you know that God's speaking to you. You understand that. I'm asking you to, as an act of faith, as an act of faith, to get up out of your seat, come and kneel here. If you want somebody to pray with you, we've got people to pray. 
If not, you can be left alone. Just raise your hand if you need somebody to pray. But there are a lot of folks, no doubt in my mind, who need to say, there's an area in my life that's not surrendered. There's a worry. There's a fear. There's an anxiety that's not surrendered. It's time to surrender. Let's leave it here. Let's go the rest of the week. It's going to be a great week. Let's leave it here and not pick it up. Invite you to come as we sing, please. Page 119, if you want to turn to your hymn books. Page 119. All to Jesus I surrender. surrender all. I surrender